Welcome to Westside Podcast. Each week, we'll take a relevant topic under the microscope to see what the Bible has to say about it. You will gain tools and information you need to support your faith walk and build Christ-centered families in Kansas City and beyond. I'm your host, Troy Kennedy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to one more episode of the Westside Podcast. This is our last episode of the season, and I'm here with my brother, Randy Frazee. Good, good to see you, my friend. Oh, man, good to see you. Yeah, and we're really excited to get about getting to do this because you have submitted questions to us to try to the best of our ability to address them mm-hmm. in a helpful way, and hopefully we don't bring more confusion to the matter. And so uh, those last few episodes have really been a lot of fun, and last week we dealt with spiritual warfare, and weeks before that, just all these other complex issues. So honestly, this one's kind of a relief because it feels a little bit more simple. I know. <laughs> than cool. covering one topic like extensively. Popery. Yeah, it's a popery. So popery we. We got questions submitted by you guys um, from all over the place, and we're just going to kind of like popcorn. We're going to cover a bunch of different topics, and starting off with Randy, because of course, you know, I gave him all the hard questions for this particular one. So you were fair. You lucky dog. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the first one is, is like, okay, so people ask, how do I make important decisions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Actually, um, a little bit of history. I, um, uh, years ago, had a little company called Creative Leadership, and I did oh. coaching for business and professional people And when I was going to seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary. And a nice little sort of cool little ministry. And uh, I was 25 years old, and somehow or another they listened to me. And uh, I'd, uh, you know, I'd read uh, Friesen's book, uh, Decision Making in the Will of God, and all that kind of stuff, and you know, just trying to break it down into a flow chart on how, from a Christian's point of view, could you oh, make yeah. a decision? And so I taught that to business guys, and uh, and 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 even recommended that they take the flow chart and uh, and to learn the process to journal it, actually right. journal it right. out. So I actually rewrote it here on the oh, back wow. of this little sheet right here. So I'm just, you're going to have to envision That's this. Pretty cool. <laughs> maybe maybe some maybe I may have to screenshot that and, and then this, post it for yeah yeah. I may yeah. have to make it a little bit clearer because I you know. So the f- the first thing I wrote down at the very top of the flow chart is define your decision, mm-hmm. and do not go off of this one too quickly because a lot of times people get down and they're actually trying to provide an answer to the wrong question and so the very first thing is is to make sure you spend a lot of time identifying what the decision is you're trying to make Mm -hmm. uh, and then what the desired outcome is you know so what what is your desired outcome and then then after once you've identified and i would say you know journal it out and actually write the question down is this really Mm -hmm. the the question i'm trying to answer is this really the decision i'm trying to make and then the first question you ask is 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 god's word clear on it yeah. It's God's word clear on it, and uh, if the and you may need some help, you know, mm-hmm. to maybe don't know the scriptures well well enough, not comfortable with it enough, so you might want to reach out to mm-hmm. Troy. His cell number is <laughs> no. Uh, you might re- you know reach out to somebody that you respect or a couple people to say, is God's word clear on this? If you don't yeah. know, and if the answer is yes, right. things get really simple. But here's the deal about God's word. God's word is usually very clear on uh, the decisions that require the most amount of courage. Mm-hmm. The, the, the issue is not finding the answer to the decision. Mm-hmm. The issue is going to be trusting in God enough to actually implement the decision. Yeah. For example, uh, you know, God does not want us to get divorced. You know, and we got a lot of that going on today. There, you know, we can talk about the exceptions to the rules, but for the most part, he doesn't want divorce. Mm-hmm. So, you know, should I divorce my spouse? Is God word clear on it? 
Yep, pretty clear with with a few exceptions. Right. Now there may be some separation, you know, that, with, you know, that comes from you know abuse and you know whatever the things mm-hmm. might be. But the, God's word is really clear, and the answer is, uh, yep, He's very clear. He doesn't want me to get a divorce. And so I would say, make sure you identify in Scripture. I wrote down identify in Scripture where it, it is, so wow. you're not making it up because you know you might come up with, yeah, God's word says He, he helps those who help themselves. <laughs> From Hezekiah 3, 4. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, and it's not in there. So make sure you identify it and really commit that passage Mm -hmm. of Scripture or several of them to memory. Talk to other people about it. So once God's Word's clear on it, identify it, and then pray. But here you're not praying for uh, direction. Here you're praying for courage because usually Mm -hmm. when God's clear, it takes courage. And then just do it. Just be obedient and do it. Don't second-guess yourself. Scripture says don't be double-minded. Don't be divided. Jesus said have faith. Now, go back up to the top. You defined your decision. Is God's word clear? And the vast majority of decisions you're going to make in life, mm-hmm. he's not super-duper clear on. So this becomes then, underneath it, a matter of wisdom. Mm-hmm. becomes a matter of wisdom. And the first thing I recommend people doing is just doing a pro and con list, you know, doing a, yep. a simple Benjamin—we used to call it Benjamin Franklin. I guess maybe he did it or something <laughs> like that while I was flying a kite. Right. But it's just like the pros and cons. Uh-huh. And then what I even do is I'll actually put a value to them, you know, so— oh, yeah. You know, so this uh, waiting, yeah. Yeah. So this one, and and our decision that Roseanne and I made to come here, uh, you know, I I don't, I, I, you know, there's a part of this where God wasn't like, do you want me for sure to go to Kansas City? Now it later became almost super duper clear, Mm -hmm. but this was a matter of wisdom. I think I could have done a number of things that were in the scope of God's will. Uh, So I, so we listed it all out, and we we put values on Mm -hmm. certain things, and not everything was equal. And then after that, there's four four steps you need to go through. One is what does God's word say? Now, God's word will provide wisdom on every single decision. You know, it won't be directly answering that decision, but it's going to provide you guardrails. It's going to provide you insight. Uh, then you need to listen to the Spirit, which you do through prayer. And the Spirit confirms with our spirit and speaks to us, you know, and it's always consistent with the word of God. And then there are circumstances. God will line up circumstances, uh, and you want to be careful. That's the lesser of all of them. Mm-hmm. But when the circumstances start lining up with God's word in the spirit, you really have got something. And then Proverbs says there is uh, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Right. And so you've got to have the right people around you. So once you I get all, all you know that you know that pro and con list and those four other things going, you formulate a response. And I recommend writing the decision out and in and maybe some sub points as well and then once you have it don't be a divided person one of the things that uh some people have uh, is that there's not a right or wrong in this one there's just a decision of wisdom mm-hmm. make the best decision you can according to the wisdom of god and then just do it you know there's going to because every decision you you make there's always going to be some negativity into it in yeah. it so you just make the decision and you go for it and you don't just keep changing your mind people that people that never are, are have fortitude to press forward right. ended up they failed not because they uh, they made a bad decision is because they didn't have the strength to follow it through what you believe to be the best. So Roseanne and I have made a number of decisions. We said this is the best we know to do with everything we have, and we're going to pursue it, and uh, we know there's going to be bumps along the road, but we're going to continue to say we prayed about it, we identified our top values, and we're going to go with it. So that may be a bigger uh, a bigger process than ever, but I want to go back to yeah. define the decision. That's mm-hmm. probably one of the big things, and then ask: Is God's words clear? If it's yes, then right. find out what it is. If it's no, you've got a little bit more of a process. I recommend in the early days uh, practicing right. by keeping a journal on it. That's so great, Randy. And I was just thinking, you know, that, so practically applying that to somebody. I, so I know of a young man who's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. 
who, um, you know, he got into his career, did all kinds of schooling, got all kinds of education, and he got into it and is in it for, I want to say, a couple of years, maybe maybe a little more than that. And then he got to the point where he doesn't think he wants to do it anymore. Yeah. You know, and he gets all kinds of anxiety and stuff attached to it. Yeah. And if that's not reducing it too much, um, there's more to it than that. But um, so he's praying. He's like, God, I don't know. What's my next step? What do I, what do, I do? What is my... What's my calling? Where do I go? And so he feels like he's a little stuck in the waiting area, mm-hmm. right? Like, how? Did, well, then, okay, how can I actively participate in pursuing the right thing, even though I feel like maybe right now the answer is wait? Yeah, yeah. I think waiting is a very, very. That's a. I think waiting is a very great place to be. Uh, I. I I, I think that's really fine. You know, I've had several people maybe in a similar spot who said to me, Randy, should I go to seminary? And I said, well, that's not the question. You know, the mm-hmm. question is, uh, w- what's God's calling you to do? And then the question right. is, is seminary the right uh, outlet for you? And um, and it's not always ministry. I've had uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, she finished her, her master's at Fuller. Uh, and uh, she had no intent of going to ministry. She yeah. just loves the Bible, loves theology in a season of her life where she wanted to enrich it, and that was her purpose. Yeah. But she knew what the end of it was. And uh, But sometimes you start a journey, and uh, new information comes mm-hmm. uh, to you. It's right in front of you, and it puts you in a waiting pattern, right. and a waiting pattern so hard to be in. But don't be anxious about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, just, you know... Um, you know, and probably what you did may or may 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 have been a mistake. You may have made the decision to like I went to Bible college mm-hmm. because I was told that if you love God, you'll go into full time ministry. That's, that's why I went into Bible college. <laughs> no. That's that's bad theology, man. That's bad bad advice, y'all. Bad bad advice. Mm-hmm. But that, I made it on the basis that my counselors around me that's what they were teaching back then, and I didn't grow up in a yeah. church home, and so I made the decision to go into it. But I think God was in it. God right. was he redeemed uh, it, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he did. So I was in my third year, and I realized, you know what, I, I, that's bad theology. Second, third year, no, second year, this is really bad theology. I don't have to do this, right. but I'm two years in. You know, and, one of the, one of, you know, and one of them is, I, you know what, I, I'm going to play it out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm already two years in, and that's back when you had to pay for your own school. I'm like, right. I'm two years in on a Bible college degree, which means I get to start completely over if I go to a university. There was a little, little bit of a practicality to it. It's like, right. I just need to get a degree, mm-hmm. and I'm already two years on something that a lot of this Bible stuff's not going to transfer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be, in a, so I'm just going to go ahead and finish this degree, right. and I'm going to wait it out and see, and voila, you know, 33 yeah. years later, here I am. Do you think sometimes... Well, I, that's maybe that's a little disingenuous. I think sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> now you're being truthful. Now I'm being honest. Uh, sometimes, you know, I feel like the Spirit of God kind of gives you a prompt or a little bit of a nudge. Mm-hmm. And that's some. I like to be, oh, should I buy the blue car or the red car? I'm not so sure God cares about those things. But sometimes when it's, you know, you're talking mm-hmm. about a relationship or a career move mm-hmm. or something like that where you're going, this is really an important decision. And, uh, like, I've done the pros and cons list. And, my, in fact, my, my dear wife i did one before i asked her to marry me mm-hmm. and then i burnt it immediately uh-huh. destroyed that she'll never know what was on the con side because um, <laughs> there was nothing there was yeah. nothing on the con side just yeah. so all all of he america to me there was you all know there's nothing on the con side and you no longer have a chip in the game um <laughs> but uh and then there's times like when i was uh, looking to come to kansas city yeah. you know and i got approached about doing this job this is what 16 17 years ago and I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to Kansas City. I'm an L.A. guy. And prayed and prayed about it, and I just had no release, no sense of anything. And, um, you know, then one day I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me the okay. Yeah. 
And then another time, it was like the, it was going from when I was at Saddleback to go to another church, and I had interviewed in a few places around the country and had three different offers, which is a terrible position to be in. It's like I really just like one offer, know, you know? know. And so I'm going, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And my wife and I prayed about it, and the one we felt he was prompting us to do was the worst one on paper. Yep. Right. It was the one Rick Warren himself said, you should probably not do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, but Rick, I think God wants us to go. They go, then he said, well, then you better go. Right. 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 So, you know, there's that. Sometimes you get that sense of the conviction of the spirit that really goes, you know what? I, I, I understand that kind of it goes away from maybe what looks more practical yep. Yep. or more like uh, you're climbing the corporate ladder or whatever it is. But I well, that's why you put, put that. That's why you put the pro and con list together. Mm-hmm. You put the values to it, but then you you engage in listening to the spirit through prayer, mm-hmm. and the the spirit can speak things to you that says you don't understand it now, but mm-hmm. I'm giving you a prompting. And uh, yeah. you know what? Uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, was that prompting? For, you know, you, 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 over time, as you mature in your faith, in right. the meantime, you lean into wise counselors. Right. You lean over time. You you can discern the voice of God. You yeah. can discern it. And uh, I, you know, I, someone would come to me uh, many times and say, uh, I, I'm 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 going to buy a new car, mm-hmm. uh, which is usually a really bad decision. <laughs> Generally, almost always. generally, and, and I and I and I said, well, why do you? He says, well, I want your advice. I said, well, what, what, what's your, what, what's your thought process? He says, well, this car I really believe is uh, getting ready to have a lot of mechanical problems, and so uh, it's paid for, but it's going to have some mechanical problems, and and uh, I just think it's probably a wise thing for me to get a brand new car. So you're going to? And I said, well, you have a car? Oh yeah, I have a car picked out. So you know, it's a forty thousand forty thousand dollar car, and right. I and I just said, okay. So here's the deal. It's that is a if your goal, is, you know, right now you don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you know, so if you had a tremendous amount of money, this would be a different conversation. But right now you don't have your career s- settled and right. you're going to strap yourself down right. with this car payment and it's a depreciating item. There's nothing that makes sense. Now, if you just say, I want to have, I just want to do this crazy thing mm-hmm. and I'm just going to do it, then, you know, then make, be honest about it, but right. don't try to justify <clears throat> that this is a wise right. decision and uh, they didn't do it they came back to me a year later and said oh my gosh if i would have been stuck with that 700 a month right. car payment i would be in the tank and i said usually i tell people when they're going to go buy yeah. a brand new car go get it washed yeah get it detailed get it detailed you'll, you'll find a whole new love for that car absolutely oh, i think i mean that's really a great piece of, and it's part of the chart that you created here's the whole idea of seeking counsel or confirmation yeah. don't go to the people who you know are going to give you the answer you want that's right. right. As a matter of fact, even don't go to them with telling them what you want. Don't like sometimes mm-hmm. you set them up, you know, right. like I really want to do this, but uh, but I want to make sure, I'm, you know, because most people just, you know, yeah, they want uh, to encourage you. They want to encourage yeah. you. And there's too much to lose otherwise. But just go like, hey, I've got these decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I'm going to be quiet from here on out. Just right. tell me what you think. And uh and, and if you get more than one, because it's a multitude of counselors, right. that that it's gonna, God's gonna let that that your 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 courage to go to them and get counsel. Right. He's gonna he's gonna line it up with circumstances, the spirit's nudging, and God's wisdom that comes in His work. It's just gonna work. Yeah. It's a little bit of work, mm-hmm. uh, but I tell you, if you stay on a path of making these right. kind of decisions uh, over a lifetime, mm-hmm. you end up in a in you know, in, in as good a place as you can possibly be yeah. in, barring external circumstances. And as you grow in your relationship with God, too, you become more and more familiar with His voice. You know, you, do. you start to be able to discern when is it just me, mm-hmm. you know, wishful thinking, and when is this really the Spirit leading? And I mean, that's, you know, 
a really nebulous thing to say, but it's true. It's mm-hmm. been it's been my experience. Yeah, and, and it's been mine too. And I think the idea is that you uh, just are honest in your heart and just say it out loud. God, I really do want your will, mm-hmm. and I, I really want what's best here. And 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 really just put yourself in a place where. You know, uh, I, I don't want to go down a, a hedonistic path, meaning that, you know, something that I kind of, I really want and I'm going to try to justify and back into. Right. God does want to give you things. He really does want you to experience these things. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, if you really want the best path for you, just keep coming back and honestly right. saying, and he actually will. And, uh, you, know, you know, sometimes we make a decision, it ends up being difficult, but maybe the right. difficulty was a part of it. So don't second guess yourself. Right. This is a discipline. Mm-hmm. This idea of making decisions, you know, in, in, in reference to the will of God uh, for your life is a discipline. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And I think the more biblical success results from that. Yeah. By biblical success, something doesn't mean you make the most amount of money, although I think a lot of times that happens. I think that, it, but you have holistic success. Right. It's your best chance at it. Again, I'm glad you said that because I, you know, one of the things I keep telling my boys is, is like, boys, you know, I, honestly, I don't care when you grow up if you go to a church like Westside. Mm-hmm. I don't care, you know, if you want to become an Anglican or if you want to do, you know, or, or do you want to go to hip hop church. I don't care if you decide you want to own a yogurt shop or you want to go into ministry. I care that you follow Jesus. Yep. And so, the best advice I can give you is just keep saying yes to Jesus. Yep. Because there's no downside, mm-hmm. right? Just always being in that position where you want to be submitted to His will, and sometimes His will is, "I need you to wait, there, Sparky. Yeah, I need you to wait it out." And yep. in time, you will get yep. clarity. In time, you will get that that door opened or that nudge at the right time. But God, you know, we we said this before. You know, God's timing is always perfect, mm-hmm. right? He's never late. Mm-hmm. But the most annoying thing is He's never early. Yeah, with the answer, right on time. So, well, thanks for that, Randy. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. So um, here's another question we got from a listener. How do you know if you are hearing from God or Satan slash demons? Which is a little related to what we yeah, were we talking just, about yeah, last Yeah, matter of fact, I knew you were going it. Yeah, and, and a little bit, we, we talked about it now about yeah. you know, being able to discern Knowing the voice God's of God. Knowing God's voice, yeah. yeah. So or am, am I even hearing from God or is it just my own thoughts? So whew, um, that's a really great question. And so here's the deal. Here's my fundamental posture is you will know the spirit... Mm-hmm. That's speaking to you by its fruit. Yep. Okay, so the fruit is what is the nature of it? Is it the fruit of the Spirit or is it the fruit of the world, mm-hmm. right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, yep. kindness, goodness, humility, uh, versus hostility, division, perversion, anger, condemnation, contentiousness, arrogance. So I wrote a few of these things down, the little contrasts. So the enemy. Like we talked about spiritual warfare last week, the mm-hmm. enemy is going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say you're a failure. Mm-hmm. The spirit of God says you're a victor. Mm-hmm. See, the enemy says nobody likes you. The spirit says you are loved beyond measure. The enemy says you have to look out for number one. The spirit says to find your life, you lose it in Christ. Mm-hmm. The enemy tells you to write people off. Well, that's a that's a common one, huh? Yeah. The spirit says to forgive your enemies. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. That's a rough one in this culture, right? The enemy wants mm-hmm. to divide. The Spirit tells you to reconcile. The enemy says you are alone. The Spirit says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Mm-hmm. So the enemy always is going to speak condemnation. Yep. That's the fruit of yep. that, the, the fruit of that Spirit. The fruit of God's Spirit is something completely different, mm-hmm. right? It says there's no condemnation for you. And, but, 
but here's something too, and it's worth talking about the difference between conviction Mm -hmm. from the spirit Mm -hmm. and condemnation. How would you articulate that? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me go back and say, uh, if I had to answer this question, I would have answered it exactly like you. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why, uh, when I was writing the, the book, my most recent book is my strength Mm. and I, and my publisher wanted me to dive into you know, you're talking about aligning your life to the will of God. You need to tell people how to hear the voice of God. And and I went back in and like, how do we know the, the same exact question? Right. And we went back into some of the the rich writers of yesterday. And this is and this is what I put in my book. Exactly what you've said here is is, is that you'll know it by the fruit, oh. and uh, and you just discern it. And you go like, you know, I that, so that was just spot on. So you yeah. guys might want to re-listen to that again. Uh, you know, take us off a one and a half speed and put it, slow it down a little bit. We know you're doing that. Put it in half speed. Put it in a half speed and listen to that uh, again. So that was, uh, uh, now the difference between conviction and condemnation is obviously the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. if I understand your question right, is all about conviction. You know, all about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, even to non-believers, you know, right. that, you know, I think that, that the Holy Spirit convicts, but never does so in a condemning way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, you're going to have to discern the difference between the two, because the Holy Spirit uh, is going to convict you mm-hmm. uh, without condemning you to try to get you on path for your right. good, right? Is right. that kind of where you were heading Yeah, with that? I mean, I think, uh, you know, there are two different <clears throat> things. Like, we, you want to be convicted. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You want the Holy Spirit to, you know, to be nudging you, to prompt you to say, hey, Troy, don't make that call. Mm-hmm. Or you made that call. That was a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're going to there's going to be repercussions for that. You, you just you should have trusted me on it. You know, yeah. there or when the scripture gives us guidelines about our sexuality or our finances or whatever it is. And then especially as a believer, I don't know about you, but there have been times when <clears throat> I deliberately <laughs> I deliberately did what I knew I shouldn't have done. Mm hmm. You know, and and you just get that ugh, gross feeling afterwards. It's like I knew it was wrong. I knew I knew it was the wrong thing to do, and I I feel the the Holy Spirit that is in me grieved mm. over that choice that mm-hmm. I made. And and I think Paul kind of talks about it here in First Corinthians chapter seven. He says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation mm. and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death." And so maybe the difference between that like conviction of God is like he's trying to bring you life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's trying to keep you out of the ditch, you mm-hmm. know? Nobody wants to, you know, be in the ditch where there's sirens and tow trucks and l- red lights that are twirling and you know, uh, the, the, you get the EMTs are there, are you okay? You know, and you get have to get cut out of the vehicle because you decided to toy with the guardrails. That's right. You know. Um, but Satan loves to see you in the ditch. Yeah. He wants you in the ditch. He's gonna he, and he's gonna say, "Yeah, you're a low life. You yeah. are a you're a sneak. You're a snake. You're worthless. Yeah. No one's gonna love you. No one's gonna like you. You're never gonna get over that. And there is no mercy for you. Yeah, yeah. that's what the enemy wants to whisper yeah. to you. So the Holy Spirit is like, you know what? You can turn this around. Repent. Yeah. yeah. But but the the enemy wants to just see you spiral down, like we talked about. Yeah last week towards depression and ultimately he wants to destroy you yeah i think that's 100 percent it and um and that's why you can kind of lean into it because a lot of us uh don't like authority in our life mm-hmm. we don't like conviction we just don't like it these days uh but you got to have conviction i don't i know you're that way you know mm-hmm. pastor matt adams on our team's in here for right. over 20 years now i think on maybe three occasions that i can recall you know uh he'll send a text out to people who's in a meeting with of course he's the most gentle guy in the world and he just 
f- got convicted mm. that what he said wasn't what he should have said, even though he's so gentle, you know. Right. Uh, and I just think that's a great example of he, he, he got this conviction instead of feeling, instead of pushing away from it and saying, oh, I just, I'm just a bad person. He goes like, no, I, I probably shouldn't have said it that way. I'm going to go back and I'm going to follow that conviction. I'm going to and, and I'm going to I'm going to reconcile that. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons he's a happy guy, right. because I think he he's not afraid of the conviction of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and that the Spirit convicts him on something as simple as well. Most of the time, it's on really a lot of times it's just really small things, you know, mm-hmm. like you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have said that, and that conviction, you know, right. and then go back and make it right, and you're like, okay, you you just re, 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 you know repeat that cycle for your whole life and it's going to lead you to a good place. Yeah. Well, I love that because the enemy is always going to want to tell you you shouldn't apologize. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't say you're sorry. Um, and the truth is like the people who received that message from Matt were like they actually their respect for him grew. Totally. Right? They got more respect for him. So when the enemy says, "Oh, they're going to think less of you." This, the thing that the Spirit is prompting you to do is actually going to probably make people think more of you. Because yeah. I know when somebody is willing to admit they're wrong, my estimation of them only grows. Yeah, and it also tutors me, right, at the same mm-hmm. time in saying, you know what, boy, that really, that, that kind of humility, that kind of valuing of me right. made me feel good. I might should do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I get that conviction, I might should do that as well because maybe that person will feel the same way I'm feeling right yeah. now. I'm like, wow, I want to live a, li- live a life like yeah. that. And it's just, it just leads you into goodness, right. which it's, I think is good. It's admirable. Um, I, I tell my boys, it's like, look, if you if you <laughs> you do something and you screw something up, if you come to me first and you tell me about it, it's going to be so much better for you than if I find out about it. Yep. Right. Yep. And because everybody admires the person who can own their stuff. Right. Right. You know. And so, <laughs> anyway, I, I I love that uh, that came up here. So here's another principle here: the Spirit of God will never speak contrary to the Word of God. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I a situation on on our uh, worship team years ago, and we had this person on the team and. He's married, has a couple of kids, and uh, and I, you know, it, it surfaces that he's having an affair, out, you know, outside of his marriage. And I go and I, I go to kind of confront him and say, "Bro, you know, this is this is really not a great idea." And he goes, "Troy, you know, I've never felt so close to God." Yeah, yeah, I heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Brother, you're delusional." Yep. Okay. The Spirit of God is not going to affirm this thing. That is, we, we call this adultery. That's mm-hmm, what that mm-hmm. is. That's yep, the definition yep. of it, what you're doing right now. And you are harming your, your wife. You're harming your children. You're teaching your children. He had two daughters. How a man should treat them in yep. the future. You're teaching them what is acceptable treatment by, by a, a man that they love by the way you're treating their mother. I mean, there's so many levels to this, and boy, he cussed me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he let me have it. The faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'll tell you, um, I, this one I hear so many, many times, and it was Dallas Willard who helped me really uh, put language to the idea. That's why we've got to really be careful mm-hmm. in, 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 in identifying the feelings of joy and the feelings of peace uh, away from the objective reality of what brings joy and what brings peace, and so uh, you know he says, "I but 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 I, I feel," and, and it could be that you know it, it, in a you're in a marriage relationship where the where the where the the, the mate 
in this case the wife is mm-hmm. being a nag or or they've not built a solid relationship and they can't find their way back to where they once were and yeah. it's too much work to get mm-hmm. there they don't see a pathway and you have a lot of angst in your stomach all day and then you get in this new relationship which oh by the way is going to also emerge to be challenging as well but in this moment in time you're in that euphoria and you feel Mm -hmm. respected you feel Mm -hmm. that God is being good to you by giving you somebody who loves you for who you are but it's all about feelings it's not about the objective reality of what ultimately brings peace what ultimately brings joy and what obedience requires of us to enter into that and how it pays Mm -hmm. off in the long run wow yeah that's really really good man so I guess fundamentally, and this is really related to the first question, is mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you seek godly counsel. Um, if you're married, confirmation with your spouse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if something is whispering in your ear, right, how do you know the voice of God? Get, get some help. And then I think, honestly, you get peace with the Spirit of God that is in you. And that may be one of those things you grow into more over time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I tell you, man, there's been doing those, once again, had those situations where I was going to do something and I had that, that kind of sick feeling, like yeah, Troy, don't, don't, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, but I really want to, don't do it. Ah, oh, come on, it's just not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And you know, you rationalize all these things, and I went ahead and did it, and right, can what can walked away from it, just going, ugh, mm-hmm. I'm just gutted, you know, just sick about it. And the the spirit of God is trying to keep you once again, is trying to keep you out of the ditch. Yeah. So, um, uh, in First John, we we actually read this passage to you last week, but um, it says, "Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world." This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come to flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. I mean, that's kind of like the bottom line. Yeah, that's good. Is this voice something that is uh, going to bring you life, or it's going to bring you more death, more yeah. destruction? Yeah, that's really good. So, Randy, here's a here's an interesting one, just to toss it out there for you. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've heard this before. Yeah, well, I'm reading it right in front. Are of Are Catholics Christians? Wow, that's a good one. So, first of all, what I'll say is, in the spirit of the very first question, is uh, very first uh, thing on decision making is you got to make sure you're answering the right question first, yeah. and that's not the right question. Mm. Um, it is not are Catholics Christian? You know, because a Christian mm-hmm. is anybody who has repented and has received the forgiveness of sin through Jesus mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, and has gone public for that for, for Jesus that that's the person who's a Christian regardless if they're a man woman black white purple Catholic Protestant you know mm-hmm. so orthodox, the, yeah whatever, Orthodox yeah. you know uh, uh, heterosexual homosexual, uh, whatever whatever label you want to put, that a Christian is someone who has received the gospel in its purity, right? Uh, I think the better question is, do Catholics teach that gospel? I think right, that would probably be the better question right. to ask. And, uh, and I, I think we can have a little dialogue on this, because I think the answer is, uh, j- j- just like, so we're, we, we consider Protestants mm-hmm. because we protested. Right. We're protesters. Martin Luther. Uh, yeah, we mm-hmm. protested uh, in the 1500s. We protested the Catholic Church's stance on things when Martin Luther 
nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. Yeah. If you're After no, the Diet of Worms. The Worms, yeah. you know, and so German, <laughs> the W is pronounced with a V, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, so, and, and so and the answer is, do they teach the gospel? Martin Luther felt like that they distorted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his sola fina, you know, faith alone, he right. felt like there was faith, but there was other things added to it. Right. Faith plus. So, faith plus. Mm-hmm. And so Martin Luther would say, uh, that his experience with the Catholic Church back in the 1500s is no. And, and he did that as a monk reading through uh, right. Romans, which is right. the best treaty on the full concept of the gospel that I know of. Now, with that said, Protestantism is, 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 is big and diverse, and, mm-hmm. s- and so is the Catholic right. Church, meaning that within, there, there, within the Protestant realm, there are people who distort the gospel. And I think the same thing is true within the Catholic realm. When I was writing the book, uh, What Happens After You Die, and I was trying to get to the heart of, you know, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? And, 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 and I just lined up all the different mm-hmm. views on what the Lutherans and the Protestants and the Catholics and the, you know, the, the Church of Christ and the Baptists all said, you know, what was their formula, if you will? Yeah. And uh, it, 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 when I got to the purity of what the intent of the Catholic Church is, I found uh, I found a real pure gospel in it, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And, and as a result, I have many friends uh, in, in my A2 group here in Kansas City that are deeply committed to their faith, filled with grace, and uh, they, they live out their faith. And then in San Antonio particularly, uh, some friends that are doing great kingdom work that I'm in partnership with that uh, are, are very much Catholic. And, and, and what I discovered is that uh, w- one of the things I discovered, and, 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 and I'll let you then respond to it, is that uh, as I understand it, and I read it, and it's been a while, so what I understood is that they don't believe that you can, a pure, the pure Catholic doctrine doesn't believe that you have the power within yourself to save yourself. Mm-hmm. It is the blood of Christ. It is the work of Christ that saves you. Now, the question is, how do you receive that grace? Mm-hmm. Okay, so as Protestants, you know, uh, of our brand, mm-hmm. we believe that you repent and you ask for forgiveness, you ask to receive Jesus and what he's done for you, and you receive that grace instantaneously for past, present, and future right. sins. Once and for all, mm-hmm. it's done. My understanding of the Catholic Church is that they believe Jesus is the one who forgives your sins, but that you have to continually mm-hmm. receive that forgiveness uh-huh. through the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And, and it has to be through the one true church. And so if you've ever gone to a Catholic wedding and they do uh, communion, uh, you're Protestant, you have to fold your arms over, you're not allowed to take it mm-hmm. because you're not a Christian. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's right. what they're saying, fundamentally. I had a conversation with the Catholic priest, and he goes, I know, man, I'm sorry, because I was actually doing the <laughs> wedding with them. He says, you're doing this wedding, I can't I'm take sorry, man. So you can't receive communion, which means you cannot receive grace, right. which means... You're out. You're out. And so, unfortunately, that is, you know, I'm glad we don't have a dial-in number here, but I mean, (laughs) but it'd be really great to hear, uh, you know, a genuine uh, Catholic priest, uh, scholar answer that question. You know, when I'm crossing my arms, are you saying what I think you're saying? Because Mm -hmm. you receive grace, so you have to, you you continually confess your sins, and you continually receive the Eucharist, where the, where the... uh, That's the constant receiving of grace. Constantly receiving of it, constantly. That's why you got to stay up on it. And that's where the works things come in. Mm -hmm. But even though, to, to the Catholic's credit, even though 
um, even though you have to continue to do that, I, I don't think that they would say that, that your act of doing that saves you. Mm-hmm. It is the blood of Christ that saves you, but you're, re- you're choosing to continually receive that grace yeah. through the one, and true, one true Catholic Church, and that the bread and the, 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 the wine are not just bread and wine symbolically, mm-hmm. but they have, they, they, that's transubstantiation. Right. They have been transformed and only could be done by the priest. That's why COVID was really challenging for the right. Catholic Church, right? They couldn't take communion. C- c- mm-hmm. Eucharist, the, the c- communion is the, is the central part of the deal, mm-hmm. and it's got to be the priest who converts that bread uh, into the body and the wine into the blood. It could only be the priest. So COVID really, you know, when we say sometimes, and I think we're a little bit flipping with it a little bit, to be honest right. with you, uh, get yourself a Diet Coke and a, and a, and a, and a, a lifesaver. A lifesaver. Yeah. Uh, it's probably a bit far on the symbolism thing <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that right. although i think the heart we're coming from the heart mm-hmm. uh they would think that would just be that's absolute anathema, anathema. Yeah. so uh that's been my opinion i don't know if you want to push back on that a little yeah. bit because i think there are some sects and i think martin luther felt mm-hmm. it where they just took that thing too far right. and held you hostage which uh you know they hold you hostage right. to their brand it's a way of keeping you attached to the church yeah. and almost like in a way very dependent on the priests and the administration of the sacraments, right? Because he's the only one who can do it. You can't do it for yourself. That's exactly right. And, you know, and, and, and from a practical standpoint, with church attendance always plummeting, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be nice to be able to sort of play that card, mm-hmm. but I haven't been able to get there. I think uh, American Christians that have experienced grace have cheapened that grace, mm-hmm. and they have taken gathering together the assembly, whether it's a little house church or or uh, a, a church like Westside. Uh, they just don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do appreciate the fact that the Catholic Church is trying to keep you in the strain of that grace. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of a goodness to it, but I think it could be easily misunderstood. Right. So here, something I've always wondered about, and I don't know if you might, I'm not trying to stump you, but yeah. um, the idea of when the administration of final rites. Mm-hmm. So as I understand it, and boy, sorry, Catholic listeners, um, if I'm getting this really, really off, but it's it's just one guy's, you know, I watched mm-hmm. a lot of movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um that you have to have a priest if you're on your deathbed or something like that, administer your final rites, because if you die with unconfessed sin, right, then that's a real big problem. Yeah, I think uh, I think it has. Uh, again, I'm not as uh, brushed up on it, you know what you're saying, but that's what I fundamentally understand it is, uh, and it, and it has maybe something to do in the in the olden days. It had something to do with purgatory as well Mm -hmm. you know the amount of time that you might need to spend in purgatory versus maybe going to hell but Mm -hmm. you might maybe spend less time in but it's it's i think there's probably multiple views just like within protestantism there's Mm -hmm. multiple views on everything i think that within the catholic church i'm assuming that there's probably multiple views on that but that's the idea you got to keep that you got to keep that receiving of forgiveness Mm -hmm. and grace current Mm And uh, uh, and I would imagine there's different points of view on whether or not if you don't, when you give up your last breath, mm-hmm. you go to hell or spend more time in purgatory or what their point of view right. on that is. But I know our point of view is a bit different sure. you know, on that. So. And that maybe that's why there's such, um, they call it a venial sin. So it's like mm-hmm. an unforgivable sin. If you commit suicide... Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's because well, there's no chance for you to to get your final rights. You can't you can't administrate be administrated grace for that because there's no 
no one there for it. It's just that's it. You you ended everything in sin. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that was actually believed and maybe even taught by certain sects. But I think I read, you know, again, I'm I'm, I'm not even I'm fact checking myself. I haven't, but I think I read that uh, that a major part of the Catholic Church has has sort of debunked that particular right. point of view. But I may be wrong. But that if the theory holds out that right. you can't die having not confessed your sins and received, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But but you know, the question is like. Well, how long? I mean, I'm pretty much need soon. I, I, I as need, soon as I, I walk out this door, I need to come back in. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take yeah. me long. So, uh, so again, I, I really think that uh, our Catholic uh, Catholics Christians. Right. Oh man, I know some Catholics that are as dear brothers and sisters. Yeah. I love them. I partner with them. They have res- they have just understood so much. But do mm-hmm. the Catholics teach the gospel? Martin Luther would challenge it and started the whole Protestant Reformation. Uh, when I looked at the core ideas, at least by the people that I studied. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a lot of goodness in it, although right. I and, I, and I think there's a lot of wonderful, uh, wonderful things in the practice of, of, of having such a holy reverence for the, for the Eucharist. Right. Um, and, and yet I don't particularly hold that point of view. And, uh, uh, but, but I found at the very end of the day, uh, they didn't believe that I could earn my salvation. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, uh, at the end of the day, the power was in the blood right. of Christ, just like we would say. And probably you and I both have relationships with people who who are Catholic, who like there's many different brands and different degrees of conviction mm-hmm. about some of these things with within those different like say almost Catholic denominations, you Franciscans and Jesuits, yeah. and all the you know, Dominicans and all these different kinds of Catholics. But I have had friends who are Catholic, who look at me and would consider me a Christian. Yeah, right. And I have friends who are Catholic who do not consider me to be a Christian because I'm not in the church. Right. Um, and then there are, you know, there are people we look at who are Catholic, I would say even now as a pastor, who I would say they're, they're believers, but they're maybe missing out on some of the best stuff mm-hmm. um, in terms of what it is that the intimacy of their relationship with God. And then some others who are Catholics who don't have that distance mm-hmm. in their sensibility and the way they relate to God. So I think it just goes down to the individual, right? Is this mm-hmm. person who put their faith and trust in Jesus? And, you know, we might think that they're skewed on some things. And they might they might think that we're skewed on some things, but are we majoring on the majors? Yeah, and agreeing I think, on the majors? I think things like Vatican II, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, the, you know, the Catholic Church has changed some things. And I think that, again, where I think they've been helped along in contemporary society is when they moved away from, you know, services in Latin only mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, uh, and, and got more relevant, but it wasn't an issue of changing maybe their fundamental beliefs, but the methods that they were using, uh, where it's it's hard for a contemporary person not to like a church like Westside, for, in my estimation. I may be, you know, because for a lot of people, not everybody, uh, you know, there's a, just a real appeal to the way mm-hmm. in, in which things are approached. But we have a, our own set of problems right. in the way, uh, the, you know, the more the relaxed way that we approach things. Right. But I can tell you, if you're a Catholic and you've and you've come to a church like Westside and you're wondering, well, you know, why are my parents so upset? It's because they understood mm-hmm. this thing right. that basically says you've got to re- you got to go to confession right. and receive communion, and you can only receive that in the Catholic Church. You become apostate. You become apostate yeah. because it, it, he's like, but, but, man, but mom, I love Jesus, and I've never been serving Jesus more, and, mm-hmm. and I believe in the same things, but it's got to come through the Catholic Church, right. and that communion has to be from them, right. and so you become apostate. And uh, so uh, a lot of mm-hmm. y- your parents and grandparents that— that, that that embrace that point of view. That's right. why they're so upset, and they should be upset if they truly believe right. that. 
Well, moving on here. Thanks for that easy hopefully, one. Yeah, hopefully How about that'll... if I tell you what the next question is? Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, because I want to throw you one, okay? Cause, <laughs> Great. Yeah, cool. uh, but I think this is kind Just of... Just stick to the ones I'm prepared for. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. appreciate that, yeah. Yeah, he took this one. I think this is a fun topic here. And mm-hmm. uh, someone asked it, apparently, right? So, uh, and I've been asked this as well. So I've got a couple things to add. Mm-hmm. But what about tattoos? Tattoos, man. So, you know, when, when I was a kid, um, the only people who got tattoos were sailors and criminals, right? <laughs> it was, and now it's like it's such a massive phenomenon. Every soccer mom has got an ankle tattoo, and you know people are getting sleeves and everything. So it's something that really has grown over the years. Yes. And now, full disclosure, I don't have any tattoos, and I don't think you do either, do you? You do? No. no. (laughs) It's hidden. No. It's apostate. Yeah. So, um, so a couple. I can tell you why I don't, and that's because I'm not that decisive. (laughs) Right. Right. That's number one. Got to commit. Yeah. And number two, uh, you know, you get a, you get a, uh, you know, you get a tattoo someplace on your arm, right? And it's a really cool little thing. Uh, How's it going to look at (laughs) seventy-five? I I'm just telling you. So it's really vanity is keeping you away. Vanity, from indecision, vanity, vanity. Yeah. and number three, someone told me uh, uh, it hurts a little bit. Yeah, right, exactly. So. Oh, number four, it costs money. Yeah, there you go. All the right reasons, right? To, so yeah, my decision making flowchart. I'm afraid, and but I'm uncommittal. Uh, yeah. So so the, using the the wisdom issue, it led me to a big fat no. But the bigger question is, what does God's word have right. to say? Now, if God's word said, mm-hmm. do, do I not get a tattoo because right. God's word is clear on it? And that's what you're going to respond right. to. Us. Yeah, and so that, I mean, that's one of the issues. People say, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. What it does say is, uh, you know, at least directly about tattoos. It mm-hmm. talks about it in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Moses is telling mm-hmm. us this. He says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. And later on, Deuteronomy says, do not worship the Lord your God in the way that these pagan people worship their gods. The reason is tattooing, scarification, um, these kinds of body alterations were acts of worship in the pagan cultures mm-hmm. that were all around uh, mm-hmm. Israel. And God is trying to set Israel apart. Set apart. from all of these other cultures. So we can call that sanctification. It's setting apart from the way everybody else does it, the way everybody else worships their gods. You are not to copy them. You're mm-hmm. not to do Because in that way. day, a tat mm-hmm. would signify that you are in that camp. Right. It was you, Baal, or Asherah, or yeah. you know Magog, or whoever mm-hmm. it was. There was some god that you were appeasing or marking yourself as um, being an adherent of. So, well... So we come back to the 20, 21st century, and right. it's like, well, that's not really a thing. Mm-hmm. And so p- people mark their bodies for lots of different reasons. Some people, and I have a number of friends who, who have ink for one reason or another. And so the question for me always is why? Mm-hmm. So why do you want to get this thing? Um, and for some people, it's cathartic, mm-hmm. right? It represents a season in their life that mm-hmm. was really important to them, and they wanted to remember it, kind of like building a little altar mm-hmm. to that kind of place in their life. For some, it's to remember uh, something important to them. I have a young friend who's, she had two younger brothers who were born with um, a debilitative genetic condition. Mm-hmm. So they, they knew from the, from the day they figured this out that when they were in their early 20s, they were going to die. Uh-huh. And they had, you know, sort of a, a growing mental disability and everything mm-hmm. as they got older and older. And she has, you know, messages to each of her brothers tattooed on her forearms. It's a really beautiful wow. uh, memorial to mm-hmm. these to these men that she loved. 
um, people do it for lots of reasons. Sometimes they they do it maybe to, even t- to represent their faith. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're a Christ follower. You have a cross or some Constantine's cross or something like that tattooed on your body because it's an idea that you're committed to. Yeah. Um, and then some people get the flaming skull on their knee. You yeah. know? And it's like because I thought it was cool. Right. Or because it was because. So here's the thing, and this is going to sound like such a dad a bit of advice right now. Uh-huh. So I just Go I dad know, know that I know that, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, I think it's, one, why do you want to get it? Mm-hmm. Um, and when are you old enough to really have a good grasp of the long-term repercussions or, or uh, consequences of getting something that is permanently on your body? So some people get it because it's kind of trendy, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's not always going to be trendy, <laughs> right? These things come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in another 15 years, the next generation, they might be looking at all these older people who are tattooed, and they're going to be like, ew. You know, it's like, why would you do that kind of a thing? Well, for you, it was meaningful, and it was, you know, part of the fashion yeah. of the day. For them, it's like they're way past that. Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole different thing for them at that point. So that that's really a strong potential that these fashionable choices are going to go out of fashion. But if you make a choice that is meaningful and it's an idea or a person or something that you feel you have wisely uh, attaching your life to, um, then more power to you. I think that's wonderful. Um, So there's, like I said, lots of reasons that people do these things. And Scripture basically just says a couple of things. One, Romans 12, it says, uh, Paul writes, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, in other words, because everyone in the world is getting it and because it's this massive cultural phenomena, it's not a great reason right. to get it, right? Yeah. To, to conform to this the sort of the wind mm-hmm. of culture is not a great idea because those winds will change. Yeah. And once again, those winds are not necessarily of God. And mm-hmm. so you got to really get be, do some soul searching. So there's a couple of guidelines. One, here's the there's dad advice and then there's advice from a friend of mine who actually has tattoos. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give both of them to you, That's good. okay? <laughs> so you don't think I'm a total jerk. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you her advice. So mm-hmm. this is a young friend of mine who has tattoos and she's even had a tattoo she got when she was much younger that was really regrettable and she later on ha- actually had it modified so that it got covered. Um, and, and actually kind of redeemed it in a way, really in a really kind of beautiful way. It represented a really terrible time in her life, and now she's covered that up with something that represents something really beautiful in her life. So um, her advice was, if you really have this strong, strong compulsion to get inked, um, wait a year. Mm. And just make sure that after a year, if you still really, really think that's important, you really should get that, then, you know, then get it. But just, you know, make sure it's like the fonts you choose and things like that are very time sensitive. So, you know, it might mark you as a child of the 2020s um, <laughs> if you get that comic sans font or whatever it is. So uh, so that's one, one thing. And then the other one is um, as we get older, we get better sensibilities about the long-term consequence of these things. So this is a permanent marking on your body, a permanent fashion choice that could have repercussions for your employment later on. Mm -hmm. Like I have a friend who's a policeman who um, he can't show ink when he's on duty. And he has a full sleeve. Yep. 
and he so he in the middle of the summer in mm-hmm. here in Kansas he's got to wear long sleeves because it but so some jobs are like that so here's what I would say and this is actually what I've said to my children <laughs> so just know that it's so such a dad thing to do <laughs> um, but no the heart of it is good because we want to do these things with wisdom and we don't want to mm-hmm. do them compulsively and mm-hmm. we don't <clears throat> want to do them because they're fashionable we want to do them because it is meaningful and wise mm-hmm. so what I've said to my boys is, as long as I am paying for your life, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm feeding you, I'm paying your electricity bill, all these things, no tattoos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you get to the point later on where you're self-sufficient enough to uh, be paying for your car insurance and you have a job. Yeah, and you're you, off the payroll. And you're off the payroll. It's, there's a good chance you're going to have the maturity mm-hmm. to be able to wisely make this permanent mm-hmm. decision. That's you're marking your body with. Mm-hmm. I know lots of people have different takes on that, and I know That'd be people my point that, of view. that let their kids get inked when, as soon as they turn 18. Yeah. I'm not condemning mm-hmm. that, um, but what I'm just saying is, even when you're 18, the things that you think are awesome when you're 18, when you're 28, you're probably not going to have those same opinions. Yeah. Your tastes are going to change, yeah. and your what you think is. I don't know, whatever you think it is, is, is probably going to evolve. So make sure that, in, or if you're going to do it when you're younger, make sure you're getting your parents or somebody wise to help speak that into you so that you just don't wind up later on going, ah, I really wish I hadn't got this. Yeah, I, th- I think the, um, prob- you know, all the things you said are just a great, um, I think the being able to answer the, you said the why question, I think, mm-hmm. and, and just really being honest with yourself, um, you know, a uh, couple of uh, additional thoughts I have, and then one example um, uh, is, you know, um, the idea that your body's the temple of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't, I didn't, haven't done it. It just doesn't work for me under any, just, I, I mean, I, I this just doesn't work for me. I, when I when right. I run all the traps, I go like, I gave you all the four reasons why. <laughs> it just doesn't work for it me. It hurts. Yeah, it's it hurts. Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I'm the indecisive. And, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but I think that um, uh, the, you know the I, I don't I don't know that they've come out that it's either healthy or unhealthy for your body. It just seems like burn you know ink and it seems like it might be a bit challenging from a health point of view. I haven't looked at that, so that would be a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm assuming that it's probably not uh, that bad for you, I guess. But it sure mm-hmm. seems like it could be, and that would be a principle. You you gotta you know this is this body that God's given you. Right. You gotta protect. And th- but it, it, there's also a passage of scripture that says, "I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus." You know, so yeah. for so people that get tattoos that have this really deep spiritual. And I'll tell you, I, we brought him here. Um, uh, a good friend of mine that was just blown up in a military, uh, 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 in a uh, like an IUD. IUD, yeah, uh huh. And uh, IED, excuse IED. me, really different, two different things. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, really important yeah. distinguishing those things from. And uh, he, I brought him here to speak, <laughs> and he just every every part of his body was burned right. except the one tattoo he had on his arm, uh-huh. which was a cross with the word of God, H E B four twelve. Oh wow. Hebrews four twelve, yeah. the word of God, and it was the only part of his body that wasn't burned, and it's uh, it's really. I mean, the rest of his body was just. I mean, his face, everything was just 
practically right. burnt off except that one little teal. And there's just, and he uses that as a testimony today. And uh, so this idea of burying in your body the marks of the Lord Jesus and the people that I know that are followers of Jesus, I still wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have been decisive. I would have had a temporary tattoo. Right. Uh, would have gotten a, <laughs> a picture frame or something else. Uh, but for the people who do it uh, that genuinely know their why, I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. Uh, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family after the death of Maria, they all mm-hmm. got a, a tattoo. I think it's the only one they got. Right. You know, it's a C on it. If you got to read uh, Mary Beth Chapman's book to understand the story behind it, but it's a deep spiritual thing that connects them all together. Right. And there's just so much good to that. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't use my dad arguments to, uh, to undermine it because it's <laughs> right. just so powerful, so right. unifying, so awesome. But once you answer the why question, I think, you, you know, you can you can go from there. We have mm-hmm. the same perspective as so if parents listening. We have the exact same perspective. Oh, yeah with uh, piercings Mm -hmm. and tattooing and all kinds of you know but once you're uh, you know on your own and uh we can have an honest conversation about it and i do believe that at the end of the day it's probably more a question of a a, and the decision chart is a wisdom issue Mm -hmm. not a god's uh, word is really super clear on it yeah and i've told my told my boys to say hey look at that i'll go down there with you and i'll ruin it and get one too how about that (laughs) (laughs) so just take a little bit of a left turn here um so somebody who's asking a question is like, so how do we, as Christ followers, how do we navigate relationships or friendships with non-believers? And uh, should they change? Should they need to change as you mature in your faith? Uh, what, what's your perspective on that? I'd say a couple of things. I mean, it's a big topic. I would say, uh, number one, uh, uh, the scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, meaning that when it comes to um, marriage and business partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would stay particularly sole proprietor kind of partnerships. Right. Uh, it's really hard to, you know, it's really hard in some of your publicly traded companies to not be associate, you know, not to work for a secular company, but to go into partnership mm-hmm. uh, because you're coming from different values. So, uh, you know, so I know, so when it comes to friendships as it relates to marriage or business partnerships, uh, I would not. Uh, just because you're coming from two value bases, not they're a bad person, you're a good person. Actually, you're both bad people. Uh, you one's redeemed and the other's not. But the value systems are different. And and and, and I wouldn't go into a, a marriage or and we're going to talk about this in the upcoming marriage thing, uh, or a partnership with a Christian who's not walking their in their faith. You know. Um, but I have found that at the very so at the very core is Christ is in your life, and you're going to need to have some people around you who are your core. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've always said you need to have a community of believers around you. It could be your spouse, but I think if a, another circle outside of that. So this concept of Westside wrapping God's family around your family. We have those two circles: that more intimate circle, and then the broader body of Christ believers all moving in the same direction because you need that kind of encouragement uh but i would say though god wants us in the world but not of the world and so i drew a little chart here with christ at the center and a core believers in the core of it and then the outer circle is people you work with your hobbies your kids stuff your neighbors and others god wants us to be a part of that and uh if any of my golf buddies uh are listening to this uh you know uh they have told me and I and Brad's now in our little Brad Normans and yeah. one of our pastors is in the golf group and and we had a wonderful conversation with the organizer of that who is a West Sider and just the influence that it has on the guys that are um, maybe far from God and yeah. and uh, you know but you got to come into those environments and if you're in a bad place in your life mm. you know uh, bad company corrupts yeah. you know right it's an interesting question because you know it, it's like we want to say you can still be a loving presence in this person's life. You know, you want them to see Jesus in you. And at the same time, at what point in time, though, do you go, okay, they're actually having more 
of a toxic influence on me yep. than, a, than a good influence I'm having on them. See, I think the, 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 the train of thought some people would have is as I become more committed to my faith in Christ, the less I hang out with people that are far from God, have different values than me. And I think it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think that in the early days, you probably need to sort of uh, yeah. uh, quarantine yourself yeah. from, because you don't have the maturity, get yourself mm-hmm. around and uh, other people that are going to move you in the right direction. And it's as you develop that greater sense of maturity mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, a, the group of people go out, you know, after the office for a cocktail, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you know, and, you know, I, I think it's really more in that case where you're walking into it knowing who you are in Christ, mm-hmm. our, sub, our conversation about identity in Christ, right. you know who you are in Christ, it makes a big, big difference. Yeah. And I would say other thing from a friendship point of view, uh, you know, you've heard this before, but it's, you know, you, you, you've got to also have Paul's and Tim, Timothy's in your life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Paul's are the, the people that are further along than you that are speaking in that you've given permission. And mm-hmm. Timothy's are the people that you're helping. And, um, Roseanne and I have always been extremely intentional about hanging out with uh, people older than us, and particularly people that are older than us that have a genuine faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just have an unprecedented number of friends that are older than us. We just find, we just walk away going like, I have a better idea how we're going to handle this situation. Right. Uh, so I'm talking to them, you know, about like, uh, I, t- I spent a lot of time, not that I'm going anywhere, but uh, <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time talking to people that I admire in the faith about retirement, mm-hmm. you know, about how they handled it. And I'm learning so much. How did you handle I'm talking to a lot of people that have lost their mate. Yeah. How did you handle that? That really love God, and what they're doing is they're equipping me. Yep. And so uh, that would be what I'd have to say about yeah. that. How about you? What, Gosh, any that's, thoughts? That's really good. And I, you know, I love the idea of just seeking out counsel from people who are further down the road, um, especially who share your faith. Yeah. Uh, the other piece of it is like we. So we want to like live in the world and not of the world, and you want to be that. You know, you want to be the presence of Jesus. You want to be a blessing to people. Um, but how do you do that without, you know, part of it, people, sometimes just your presence as a Christ follower, it, they feel is like a commentary on their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you think you're better than me. You think you're holier than me. You think you're coming from this moral high ground when you're really not. But uh, but then you have to be cautious, you know, to not telegraph that kind of thing, I believe. And um I remember I had a friend once say, it's like, well, you know, the gospel is offensive. And it's like, well, let's not confuse our your offensiveness with the offensiveness of the gospel. Those right. are two different things. You're being a jerk, and you're being condescending, and that's not the gospel. The gospel offends people's will about the lordship of their life, mm-hmm. but not because you're being a judgmental jerk, right? At the same, Because people resent being judged by a standard they never bought into. Yep. So you can't look at your uh, um, non-believing friend and expect them to act like a believer. Yeah, that's not fair to them, yeah. and it's, it's you're setting yourself up for failure and for just unnecessary tension. You can love them without agreeing with them, yeah. without condoning their behavior. Now they may they may require you to agree with them in order to be friends, mm-hmm. and if that's the requirement, then you're probably not going to be friends. Right. But you can still be loving, you can still be gracious, you can still be kind, and perhaps when their life hits the wall, you're the person they're going to seek out. Yeah. You know, I was listening to a uh, podcast with uh, Rick Warren the other day yeah. with uh, with uh, Kerry Newhoff and mm-hmm. uh, uh, David Kinnaman, and uh, he, he really knows how to put those. He worked with him, so, you know, uh, he, he knows how to put phrases together. But he, uh, you know, really had a lot to say uh about 
about that. Kylie, what were you saying? I, I lost my train of thought talk, getting off on all my... Just the idea of not judging people by a standard they never bought into. You know, don't expect a non-believer to act like a believer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. He basically said they built their entire ministry off of... Uh, of it, uh, because they said they've had more people come to Christ this year at Saddleback than in almost any year in the history of the church. And they basically said they've equipped their people to basically find people in pain. Mm-hmm. You know, then when people are in pain, they're super open mm-hmm. uh, to uh, some right. other solution. When they hit the wall. When they right. hit the wall, yeah. when the wheels of the wagon come off. And mm-hmm. so uh, I just think that's why you want to be in. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to have a genuine relationship. So for me, uh, my na- I, I just sovereignly see my neighbors, whether they love God or not, as a high priority from us, for me. Uh, and people I, I golf with, which is my primary hobby. Right. And last night, uh, Roseanne's out of town. We went. I went to dinner with a couple of the, the guys. And I'm a pastor, so it's not, probably not the play for everybody. But I like, hey guys, you know I'm a pastor, so do you mind if I say a prayer over the meal? We're at a mm-hmm. local restaurant, and the lady was coming up to put pepper on my uh, food, and she saw we were praying, pulled back, and but I just go at it, man, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and she said, man, I I, ra- I was raised in a family where we prayed over every meal. I go like, yeah, man, I I I gotta thank the one who gave it to me. He goes, she said, right on, and you know what? <laughs> and the, and the guys are at the table, right. you know, go like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's kind of you cool. know, that's kind of cool <laughs> that you have this deep conviction mm-hmm. about it, and uh, and uh, so right. I, I find that that has influence on the people around yeah. you uh, in a good way. That's great. Well, so. Had a young friend of mine write this. I'm just going to read to you. Yeah, I was going to ask you the question, but it's a whole paragraph, man. It's it's a lot. And she's um, really wonderful as someone who's part of Westside here. And she says this. So um, one conversation I had with a non-believer left me speechless. She said something to the effect of, I know who God is and I think he is real, but he is selfish. Who is to say what I can and can't do and that determines how I spend eternity? I'm a good person, I follow the Ten Commandments, but just because I don't ask for forgiveness when I sin means I can't enter heaven. If that's the case, then I don't even want to go because I don't want to follow someone just because they say so. I think that is selfish. And then my friend says, I honestly had no idea what to say to her. She was very set in her thinking and wasn't going to change it, so I'd be curious to see the best way to respond in that situation. All I keep telling her was that he is not selfish at all and that he is so good to all of us. She also said, I don't understand why everyone... Uh, always has to give credit to God or something greater than them. Why can't they understand they're the ones who did that for themselves? I got where I am today because of me, no one else. That's so good. There's a lot there. Yeah, so good. <laughs> and it has your name next to it, so. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, yeah, so I mean, I just wrote down a couple of quick things, and I'm sure Randy's going to have something great to add. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I think the primary problem is this person's conception of God. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking of and God. And of themselves. <laughs> yeah. They're thinking of God like he is one of us. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like the ancient Greek and Roman gods, they were just sort of more powerful, slightly more elevated versions mm-hmm. of ever- humans, and they had all the same character flaws and foibles and everything. And mm-hmm. so here's the thing is the God of the Bible, he's not... He's not a landlord who lives on the second floor. Mm-hmm. And he's not the guy that, you know, he has to come down and fish your garbage disposal because you paid to rent, you know, and you can't bang on the ceiling and expect him to respond out of obligation, right? The God of the universe is far greater than that. So um, this is the guy who spoke the universe into being. This is the God of Christianity, the God of the Bible. He's all time, space, and matter were caused and created by him. The characters of God in Scripture is that he is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is uh, He's not an omnivore. That's not the other omni <laughs> no. I was looking for. Um, omnipotence. Omnipotent, thank you. He's all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. And it's safe to say he's got a perspective that you and I don't have. 
He mm-hmm. sees things. Mm-hmm. He's he's non material or immaterial, non temporal being mm-hmm. who is looking into our lives and looking at us in a way we can't even conceive of. And so to say that you know, how dare God expect things of me and expect me to respond and take credit for things? It's just really it's a big miss in terms of the God that you're talking about. I think. Secondly. Scripture tells us to see God as a father, as mm-hmm. a heavenly father, as a mm-hmm. really good father. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a good father. He's trying to give good things to us, not to keep mm-hmm. things from us. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece is she she's, feels like, you know, I'm only going to go to heaven if I do the right stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, actually, that's not true. <laughs> it's not about doing the right stuff. It's about receiving the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Jesus has done the best thing for you. He has done the work of reconciling you to God, and he wants to offer the forgiveness of your sin, the forgiveness of all the regrettable things that you've done in your life. And sometimes people come back and say, well, I don't have any regrets. Mm -hmm. Well, have you ever hurt someone that you care about? Have you ever hurt your your mother? Have you ever hurt a, a, a spouse or a girlfriend? If you don't think that there's something regrettable about that, you're probably a sociopath. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, you, yeah, you're going to ever regret when you go to your psychologist <laughs> and they inform you that you, you have no ability to regret. Right, and it's $100 an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, of course people have regrets. Of course people recognize that they've done wrong things, that they've hurt other people. And the reason that that's a problem for God is because he's his heavenly father, mm-hmm. right? And so it's I look at it like this. I've got two boys. And um, someone, you know, across the street, a kid comes over and he punches my son in the nose. I'm not neutral about that, right? right? Matter of fact, I'm going to be very involved in mm-hmm. that whole situation. And because he's my son, when you offend him, when you hurt him, you have offended me. Mm-hmm. You hurt me. Mm-hmm. How much more is our good, good heavenly father who is for you and wants to see mm-hmm. you flourish. Mm-hmm. He, when, when we, we're mean, we're hurtful to one another, it breaks his heart. Mm-hmm. Right? I rejoice when my kids are good to each other, and when they're bad to each other, it really ticks me off. Mm-hmm. And I have to reconcile that in my own spirit. So it's not to overly anthropomorphize God, but it's just to say that his motivation is always love. It is mm-hmm. always for you. Um, misconceptions about humanity, right? Our capacity to think, to move, to create, to work are all gifts of grace. Mm-hmm. So to say, oh, well, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, like, well, first of all, where'd you get the bootstraps? Mm-hmm. Where'd you get the dirt to make the bootstraps, mm-hmm. right? You know, who, where, where did you get the capacity to think? What, who put the breath in your lungs mm-hmm. and your heart is beating and you have this miracle of a mind to think and process and create mm-hmm. with? God gave that to you. Right. It's a grace. Mm-hmm. So to come and say, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and, you know, I don't owe anything mm-hmm. to God. It's like, but I bet you blame him when everything goes wrong, mm-hmm. right? So if you're going to blame God for the things that go wrong, you probably need to give credit to him when things go right. Right, right. Amen? Pick, pick a lane. I could, <laughs> I could <laughs> preach this all day. Um, so here's the thing, and, and Randy, I'd love you, love you to kind of insert something here. I would encourage you to continue to be present and kind and loving with this person, just as we talked mm-hmm. about, like relationships where, mm-hmm. with non-believers. Um, no amount of argumentation is going to help. Mm-hmm. Okay, this person has decided all of these things in your life, and they're, what you're looking for them to see is Jesus in you. So not to be, agree with her, mm-hmm. but not to condone what she's doing, but you are a gentle presence in this person's life, and you can pray for her mm-hmm. and pray for those one of those Holy Spirit moments where God is going to reveal 
your opportunity to meaningfully speak into this mm-hmm. person's life. I think a couple things. One is that uh, this the, the, what I hear uh, behind this is a person that's had a lot of pain and uh, they're not able to emotionally to see intellectually very clearly. Mm-hmm. You know, the I followed all the Ten Commandments, you know, go to the rich young ruler, right. and Jesus kept pressing him, well, okay, uh, then give away all to the poor, which was not Jesus' point. Right. Jesus' point is like, I can't, Jesus, I can't, which is, uh, right. and then the other, the other one that he's selfish, you know, okay, so he sent his only son, you know, mm-hmm. to die, doesn't seem to add up. But there's a lot of pain here, and, and what we know that you can't, um, you can't always help a person when they don't want to be helped. And so sometimes you have to wait. Uh, the other thing I think Jesus taught us is that maybe ask more questions to try to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Why would you say that? You know, so you know, just ask right. questions. Or the other one is to tell stories. Like you told a story about your, you know, son, something your son. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of tell stories, and then and then go for the long game. You know, don't try to win an argument, yeah. but go for the relationship and the long term mm-hmm. walking with this person because things things are going to really. Uh, are really going to change for them, and you might be surprised of the turnaround when the pain is is gone. They can see the goodness of God. The, the, you right. know the idea. Well, my gosh, the reason He wants me to He wants me to ask for forgiveness of my sin is because I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm not sure this person sees himself that way. Right, right. And and you, as you get older, you know the idea, and the, and the scriptures very much talks about we give thanks for the ability to even make income. Mm-hmm. You know, just the, which all those things that you just said, and you just come to that place where you see that God is not just the most powerful God, right. but that He's also a good God. And she's just not seeing that perspective. Something has jaded her in that. And so there is a sense, I, I sense that she feels very intellectual mm-hmm. in her response, but I see a lot of emotional pain. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what you said about like the long game, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you can, it's like, you know, losing the battle to win the war, mm-hmm. that, that principle. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, yeah, you know, the long game is the relationship that you have. And uh, this person is going to need to see Jesus in you mm-hmm. before they're going to hear about Jesus from you, mm-hmm. before they can receive it from you. And as you are there and you're proving yourself not to be a condemning person, not mm-hmm. to be a judging person, not to be coming from some moral high ground to make them feel inferior all the time. Mm-hmm they're probably going to go, okay, this person isn't so bad. Maybe I should like kind of lighten up on them. And then when we talked about maybe sometimes people need to hit the wall before they ask the really relevant question. So stay in prayer, stay kind, and stay present. And uh, I think God is going to redeem that. Um, so here's a question for you, Randy. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, it might really sound obvious, but the more I think about it, the like, harder, harder it is to answer in a succinct way. Yeah. So... How would you summarize the gospel? I mean, what, what we say is the irreducible amount of information necessary to properly communicate to someone. Right, right. Well, that is actually, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I saw this question and I wrote, jotted down a few things. I mean, my favorite passages of Scripture are John 3.16. That's mm-hmm. pretty irreducible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, right. that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That kind of has all the elements right there. Right. Uh, and in that John 3 is this analogy of being born again is really helpful, mm-hmm. is a really helpful idea that why do I need to be born again? Well, because I was born of the first Adam, right. and uh, and uh, and I need to be born of the second Adam, and that that helps me. Um, the um, uh, Acts 2.38, you know, repent and be mm-hmm. baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's a famous 
favorite passage of the Church of Christ, and they've taken it. Yeah. And, and some of the Church of Christ have taken it too far, in my estimation. Uh, but the idea of repentance is an mm-hmm. inter- internal decision right. to turn, and then the baptism is the profession. public, re- you know, yeah. public profession, which ties into Romans ten, mm-hmm. nine and ten. If you right. believe in your heart, you know that Jesus, that, you know Jesus, and God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Uh, and then I like the Ephesians uh, 2, 8, 9, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think, And, and that leads me to that phrase, uh, Christianity is, spe- is not spelled D-O, but D-O-N-E. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I think even the gal we talked about here on the front end, she, you know, right. is that she can do this all for herself, and that's the whole point. The rich young ruler, you can't do this. It's already been done in Christ. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, I wrote a book called What Happens After You Die, and chapter one is called Is Jesus Enough? Oh, boy. And uh, <clears throat> it was a question my mom asked me on the way to the hospital. She was dying of pancreatic cancer. Right. She never came back home, and... Um, and that, that was the question she asked me. She had said a prayer uh, when I was 17. She was 39. I was 39 when she's now asking me at 62, uh, you know, is Jesus enough? She's yeah. asking her pastor son. And it took me on a journey. And I think that's uh, uh, in, in that chapter in the book, uh, it's, I did the best job I could to summarize. You know, when I said I laid all the scriptures out side by side, um, this was the chapter I, I did that work for and uh, and kind of got it down to you know as you know the the con- the concept of a you know it's it's a it's a it's a um, there, there is a personal decision and a public decision mm-hmm. that comes to receiving eternal life uh, but the actual gospel itself euangelion good news mm-hmm. is that you have to first of all accept that there's bad news mm-hmm. you know and you have to come to that place and the gal the gal we're talking about here doesn't yet right. quite understand right. that she was born into a bad place she's not coming to terms with with this uh, sin right. uh, nature in her life and that jesus is offering the only way the uh, the truth in the life uh offering the good news for that he's making up the difference in our lack of being able to get back into this place where we're fit for the kingdom of God, yeah. because uh, the way we act now is not going to work in the community of God to come. So, uh, so if I had to pick one, I'll go with uh, Christianity spelt D O N E. That's great. We hope the conversation has challenged you and perhaps sparked some new ideas. If you'd like some additional notes and helpful links, visit the episode page at westsidefamily.church/podcast. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Our last episode of the season, we'll devote an entire show to your questions. So you can also tell us what topics you'd like to hear and discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us today and God bless you.